Hello. Hello. Can I speak to Sarah Fellini, please? Hi, this is Sarah.、My、Sarah,、dad. this is Jay Michaels. If I'm on the line, you're on the air. Hi. Well, you're being recorded, but you know what I mean. Great. <laughs> How's it、Thanks、going? Thanks、so、for calling. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Uh. Uh, I'm I'm so thrilled to speak to you guys. I've I've been speaking with Adam Belvo for for months and months since your other production, and and I'm like your biggest fan. I think the work that you guys do is amazing. I think it's visually stunning.、Uh, the subject matter that you find is so unusual. Uh, uh, I'm and and when I saw I, I, you you sold me with the one you're doing now, Mary's Little Monster.、Uh, the yeah.、Uh, Uh, the let's talk about Frankenstein. You're talking about this to a horror movie lover, so you have my rapt attention. Tell、oh, me wow, all about、really? the show. Oh my gosh! For years and years and years, I cured my Bronx accent by listening to to Hammer Films. So so you have a fan. Tell me all about the show. Oh wow!、Um, yeah, it's about、uh, the literary competition that Mary Shelley had with Lord Byron,、um, the poet. And her husband Percy Bysshe Shelley and John Polidori, who wrote the Vampire Leg- Legends,、mm-hmm. um, uh, they were trapped in a Swiss mansion over、uh, in 1816, the year without any summer in、uh, Europe, in a in a Swiss mansion. And they had a、um, they were kind of、um, free lovers and very interesting thinkers for the time. And、um, over the period of a few months that they were in this mansion. They had a literary competition, and that produced Frankenstein, the novel Frankenstein. And it also produced essentially the when you mentioned John Polidori,、uh, yeah. uh, it meant it creates the basis that Bram Stoker read in terms of creating Dracula as well. So that was that's quite、yeah. a moment that that they spent in there. Yeah, it was a, it was a very interesting time too. It was like、um, a, the convergence convergence of a lot of like. Um, scientific ideas and、uh, you know the the concept of death and how、um, th- they were just starting to explore electricity and how you know、um, how th- how that would、uh, reanimate、um, or seemingly reanimate、uh, lifeless beings and so it was a very you know interesting time to be、um, to be、uh, literary or to be、um, You know, Creative, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be a genius—that's a nice time to be a genius.、Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, now, now, this is a very how is how is how is the show played? How is your production played? Are, are we looking at something scary? Are we looking at something deep? The pictures are absolutely stunning, and you all look absolutely eerie.、Uh, are, are are we looking? Are we looking at something eerie, or are we are we taking what's what's、uh, what's the production scheme? Um, there are definitely long pass- passages that are eerie. I think、um, basically the production is extremely intimate because it's being performed in one room of、uh, it, it's called a torn page. Yep. It's the historic home of Rip Torn and Geraldine Page. It's the home that they lived in, and uh, it's uh, it's this beautiful space. So it's like a, this kind of、um, you know historic home. So you could go up a flight of stairs. And there's basically like a parlor that we're performing in, so it's basically like entering into Lord Byron's parlor, and so we'll be performing it extremely intimately、um, in the round.、Um, so basically, everything is taking place in and out of the one room, and then there are scenes within that where,、um, because they were、um, 
uh, very, they're, they're very artistic people. They're very, you know, uh, free people. They had a lot, they took a lot of opium and a lot of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there are like long sequences where, you know, they have, um, kind of, uh, it, it, it does get a little eerie because if you're trapped in one space for a while and you're kind of going on drug trips and you're experimenting with a lot of, uh, powerful emotions and, um, you know, who's sleeping with whom, who is, you know, Lord Byron is a character who's very, uh, he's always kind of uh, using people's words against them and kind of hiding in corners and watching everything happening. So he, he kind of manipulates the scenes in some ways. Um, so it can be a little spooky or a little eerie. <laughs> so we're looking at this, this dizzying effect. And now, now you're doing it in a mansion. And and so the audience gets to walk into, they're not walking into, you know, a, a quiet little folding chair theater. They're walking into a mansion and they're going to hear about the creation of one of the the greatest uh, uh, stories, uh, one of the most enduring characters, uh, whether you want to talk the horror genre or not, one of the most enduring characters. Uh, nowadays, nowadays, people talk about immersive theater. Is this why you do your shows? Because your last one also you did in the round. Uh, uh, is is this is that a, a, a production scheme of spit and vigor? It's it's like to to almost bring the audience into reality. Uh, sure. Yeah, I think it's to. Um, so I think a lot about uh, immersive theater and um, proscenium theater and theater in the round. And I think that what we like to do at Spit and Vigor is kind of like uh, you're you're almost like embedded in the wall of the production. Because I like doing things in the round. I think keeping a circular motion keeps everything very fluid and you can really use um, angles in a really beautiful way. So I really like the um, being able to construct pieces in the round. Um, and I like pieces to be kind of intimate where you can have like small moments um, and the audience can be witness to that uh, up close, you know. But I don't really like um, immersive theater. I, I don't think it's right for our company because... Um, I think I, I don't, I don't, as an audience member, I don't like to ask audience members to like really interact with the piece very specifically, um, because, um, I want people to be able to get lost, um, in their engagement and to really be able to like fully participate. And sometimes if you're, um, if you're asked to like speak to someone or if you're asked to like, you know, do things, sometimes you can get a little, um, self-conscious maybe. Um, so I think that, uh, I try to be able to like bring it to people and like serve theater to them. If that uh, makes any sense. It well said. The 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 fly in the wall theory I think is an excellent one. Whenever whenever I'm in an, any any kind of interactive thing or a comedy act or something, and they bring me up on stage, sorry, you just you just lost me. Uh, yeah, because you're performing then. And exactly. It like a whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very stressful sometimes. <laughs> now now you the the two the two pieces that I know uh, from you the brutes and now Mary's little monster are steeped in history essentially. Is this also a a, a production scheme if you will of spit and vigor do you do you enjoy the historic works the uh, uh, the works that come from literature or come from history? We definitely do. I think mostly what's what we're looking for is to kind of um, because I, I think that there's a lot of theater right now that deals with a lot of our um, our modern age, like a lot of social media and a lot of um, you know phones and Facebook and et cetera. And I think that that's that that's not what we really look at as a theater company. Um, and so it just happens that we end up doing a lot of pieces that are. Um, that are placed in the past or um, exploring literature, because I think that we're trying to root our 
are pieces in this humanity that I think is uh, being a little bit neglected now. Um, so we're just trying to like we're trying to like produce something that's um, a necessary resource that's not really being tapped into as much anymore. But uh, we have been pieces that are also um, like we like we did a piece called Investments that we're going to be doing again at the New Ohio in um, uh, this upcoming year which it's basically set in like a modern day kind of um, it's, a, it's kind of almost like a weird uh, it's like modern, but we just ignore the fact that phones exist. <laughs> like they just, don't, <laughs> they just don't exist in the world of the play. Like we just basically are, it's almost like it's like it takes place in like the late eighties or early nineties, but it's just because we just don't like, it just doesn't come up. <laughs> So, I mean, that, so basically, I think it's just that we're trying to root the pieces in human interaction and human uh, connection. It's a very clever thought, because in the 80s, uh, and, and I'm just barely old enough to remember the 80s, uh, that, uh, you know, we all had phones, obviously, but it wasn't like it is today. Today, it's like glued to your hand. You are not a person yes. unless your phone is nearby. So so to say that, that it's it's a modern piece without phones... Makes total sense. It's just okay. What did we do before we had to grab these things and hold on to them for dear life? Yeah, so, before you had a piece that, like, if you as soon as you look at your phone, it's like someone just took out a book and started reading in front of you. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was yep. just, it's just something in your pocket that will that is just a distraction in the middle of a conversation. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so you're you're allowing us to to see the human being. We don't need to see the technology that uh, that's yeah, being trying, part of them. Trying. That's what we're excellent. Oh, excellent. Um, a horror movie lover that I am, I'm, I'm, uh, did you, now, now I've always, I've always wondered if it's, if it's the time period that does it. The 1800s into the 1900s was, was the Victorian era, uh, which was very repressed. And now you're talking about people who were very free. Um, mm. uh, do you think that freedom made them create the kind of characters that they did? Do you think it was their their sense of freedom that they had that they were able to 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 create Frankenstein to create the vampires to create these 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 dark creatures? Oh, I I almost think it was the um, the willfulness of their personalities that were in a repressive society. I think it's almost ah. the, the structure, the like highly structured society, and then to have such a strong personality that you push against that. I think. The, the, like when you have something to push back against, it's almost more you're more you're you can almost be more free when you yourself allow yourself to be that way. And so I think it's almost that like it's it's an era where there's a lot of uh, a lot of formal social mores. And I think that that might actually contribute to the creative mind because it means that you need to be constantly considering like how if you if you're committed to your own freedom you can you kind of need to constantly be negotiating that that's very and clever so i think it might inspire of yeah freedom of so thought. it's it's that repression ironically that creates freedom i think so i think i i i, I think so very cool very cool now you play mary shelley 
Yes. You're, you're directing this and playing Mary Shelley, which means you're as insane as, as she was uh, mm-hmm. if you're doing this for such a Herculean task. But what have you learned? Uh, uh, did you come to any epiphanies? Did you come to any understanding in researching the character of Mary Shelley? Something where you said, oh, my goodness, what that poor woman or, or wow, how brilliant or something like that. Did, did any realizations hit you on her? Well, honestly, I usually try to root everything that I do in the play. So I actually, I don't, it's, it's funny. I, 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 I don't know what I sound like when I say this, but whenever I do a historical play, I, I try to um, take everything from the play. And I don't love to bring a ton of research into the characters because I think when, like, if, a, if all the characters were made up and they weren't historical figures, then you would need to root all of your emotional things in the in the play like all the all your your connections or reactions in the play and so i try to come at it with that understanding because i i want to i want an audience member who doesn't know anything about mary shelley or doesn't know anything about lord byron or john polidori or claire claremont or you know percy bishop like i want them to be able to understand it as well as they would if they knew a lot of things about them and i want the people to but but in in working on the play and with all the actors that come in with all their research like their amazing research on all the characters we start to pull things out play that um just add to the human so um I, th- I mean, I think she's a fascinating woman. I think that they're all they're all fascinating people. Um, but I think, yeah, I guess I guess um, there wasn't anything specific that I I like historically that I pulled out of Mary Shelley as a person because I think that the Mary Shelley in the script is probably pretty than the person who lived. Mm-hmm. Would you like more people to attend your show? At Oplod, we combine artificial intelligence and human intuition to expand your audience and increase ticket sales. For a limited time, we'll help you fill your seats free of charge to prove our value. That's right, we will promote your show at no cost if you begin right away. Sound good? For more information, email promote at oplod.com. Jay, I'm so sorry. Did I lose you? That's okay. That's okay. Uh, we can the the power of editing. I can put together the two uh, the two pieces. Right. Um, I was saying I was saying before. I'm not sure where where I left off, but uh, you're essentially handing the audience exactly who they'd see if they walked in there. So your your comment about not finding you know uh, 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 extra Mary Shelley in there is exactly right because their audience is going to see who they are. Uh, yeah. Uh, a point I was also bringing up was uh, you're being very kind to this audience by doing this because by a show of hands, how many people know who Percy Shelley is, who Lord Byron is, who even know that Mary Shelley's married to Percy Shelley? Yeah. So, yeah. so you're so it's interesting that you're saying about how the audience will, you know, each member of the audience is going to have an equal view because you, you, your scholar and your and your your amateur, if you will, will get the same showing then in their brains. So you're yeah, and I think you're being you're very a, nice to your audience. 
I try to. I mean, I yeah. try to. I always try to do it for the person who knows the least in the room. You know, you always try to be in the shoes of a person who, you know, just doesn't know anything when they come in because that. I mean, I've been to a million productions where you know I just kind of, um, it's a friend show or it's something I don't know anything about and I just kind of on a whim wind. And sometimes there, you know, when you see a show that you, if you're if you're grasping for the, um the the concept it kind of can be difficult so i try to have a little bit of empathy for the people who don't know anything you know because i'm very frequently one of them <laughs> yeah I, i'm going to doubt that but uh <laughs> you're you're being very smart in terms of the theater itself a lot of people shy away from the theater because they think they're talking above them and so you're yeah. basically saying to your audience yes you're going to get quality stuff you're going to get fascinating ancient even material uh but you're going to be able to understand it you're you're not going to have to take a, a master's course to get through the play uh, right and i think it and if you do know a lot about mary shelley or lord byron or john paul or even uh, or, or uh percy shelley i think that you actually it's it's you get an added experience because they do have they do use like quotations from their poetry that are understandable within the context of the play but like you you'll have an added knowledge so it's like if you know it's so it's still fun you know if you if you if you if you are a scholar of these these uh you know, these geniuses. But, I'm, um, I'm always a fan when I go to see a show with someone who understands the material so completely, and in the middle somewhere, they sit and go, ah, you see, that's what he had said once, and Shakespeare quoted him on a, okay, great, uh, good, now now I know what you do, but in the meanwhile, let me watch the play. So so it's it's good that you're handing the, the fans something to play with as well. Do you like video games? Do you like to read Alright, guys, I know that uh, those two things usually don't go so well together, but my new book, The Minds Behind the Games, Interviews with Cult and Classic Video Game Developers, is kind of like an ESPN 30 for 30 collection of interviews with some of the coolest creators in video game history. We're talking iconic games, Deus Ex, Mortal Kombat, Wasteland, NBA Jam, Not So Iconic, E.T., Night Trap, Indie games, Pro Wrestling X, Towerfall. If you love video games, you will love my book. If you know nothing about video games and want to get in the know, read my book. It's available wherever fine books are sold. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, and of course my site, PatrickHickeyJr.com. It's an awesome book. I had a ton of fun writing it. And simply put, if you want to get in the know and you want to find out stuff that's not even on Wikipedia... Check it out. You won't regret it. Hi, I'm so sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Modern I don't know te- what keeps happening. Modern technology. No, I'm, I'm, I may be in a dead zone or something like that, or, or the fate are not letting us talk about the movie and the play. Uh, <laughs> what I was bringing up, there's a movie called Gothic. Have you ever seen the movie Gothic? No, I haven't. I know, I know that you mentioned it before, but I, I've, never, I've never seen it. Gothic is basically this... Uh, uh, I'm so glad you said that. It's basically this story, but it's highly romanticized. Uh, it's okay. it's about their their evening together there, and I was I was curious if if you had seen it and if this is anywhere near because that was highly romanticized. I'm getting the idea we're going to see a much purer version when we see uh, this piece of yours. Oh yeah, I mean it's very dramatic, <laughs> but they were very big personalities, so you really don't need to add too much to it because they already were such uh, they were such incredible people and such big and also all those romantic personalities are already so big you don't really need to add 
too much to it, but this is very rooted, I would say. All of the interactions are really, really grounded in just um, like the the love that they have for each other, the pain that they cause each other. It's all just very grounded. So we see the romanticism of them as well. We see their own personal relationships in this. Yes. Oh, yeah, because they cool. had, I mean, uh, Percy and Mary had an open relationship that, you know, and her sister, her half sister was with them. And she's, a, you know, she's a very seductive character. And um, Mary kind of deals with this kind of uh, these conservative kind of leanings in terms of uh, free love and um and also her, you know, allowance of her husband to go off and, you know, to, and then Lord Byron was famously like a, a very, uh, like a, a sexual deviant in a lot of ways for the time. Oh, they were all bisexual drug addicts who, who had brilliant minds. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. So you really don't need to romanticize well, I, that I, I was, I was I going mean, to say, really... bisexual <laughs> drug addict literary genius and go. So yes. yeah, that's that's really about it there. They're um, very like they're dangerous animals that you put in a cage together and you just kind of watch what they <laughs> what they do to each other. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Now, now, Spit and Vigor also has the 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 wondrous distinction that uh, your shows don't just kind of like open, run, and close. The last one, The Brutes, is up to its third incarnation or even fourth incarnation uh, yeah, uh, yeah. that you're negotiating now, which is wonderful. Uh, I, I, let's see if that's a tradition here. Also, is is are you looking to take Mary's Little Monster to to another venue or another run or anything like that? Um, yeah, I think that hopefully we'll be able to bring it to the Players Theater in May next year. Oh, very um, cool. So that that'll hopefully be um, the future for this run and the play and the the Brutes we're going to be doing at the Players Club in November. I um, heard that. Right yes, around, right around Edwin's birthday. Gorgeous. So that, um, Edwin Booth. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think a, a, a descendant of Junus Booth might yeah. actually be involved in this in some way. I know I'm, I'm talking to Adam about having him on the podcast. So that's yes. great that you, that you actually have, you know, a descendant of the Booth family involved in that, which is amazing. Yeah. 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 It was so exciting when he came. He came to our production when we were at the New Ohio. And I, I swear from 20 paces, I knew it was a booth because he looks just like Edwin. Weirdly enough, <laughs> <laughs> just from like 20 paces, it's crazy. The family, the family resemblance is really, really strong. <laughs> I, I'd met the, I think he was the great grandson of, of Charles Dickens. Uh, and, and when I met him, I looked at him and as I'm chatting with him, all I can think of is, yeah, you, you look like him. Yeah. So, so it's, <laughs> It's great that the resemblances are going on. So, so the, you're you're not just okay. Let's do a show. Or let's do another show. Let's. It's not a. It's not a season for you. It's let's do these powerful pieces and bring them as far as we can take them. Yeah, absolutely. We fall in love with a script, and we're very loyal to a playwright and a play. And uh, you know, like we we want to just keep keep them going if we can. I mean, because also every iteration of the piece, you, you get you get something new out of it. You know, there's something else that you can find. I mean, I like the more you do, a, yeah, the more you do a piece in the, in, in a different scenario with slightly different uh, construction, whether it's proscenium or in the round or, you know, uh, in a tight space, in a big space, you know, like it, you, you find different things. I, I'm, I, I have an answer for this in my head, but I wanted to hear from you. Are you, uh, are you looking to take things any, uh, to other media, to, uh, to film, for instance? Are there any projects that you're looking at to possibly uh, film, to become an independent um, film? Not me personally. I, I, don't, um, I don't really understand film. I think I wouldn't do a good job. <laughs> Interesting. 
I don't think I do. I, I, I don't. I, I, I understand the like. We're gonna get here. We're gonna write this in water, and then it's gonna be gone forever. And that, to me, I'm very comfortable with that concept. And then film, I, I just, I, I um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Not me, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure uh, our, our, uh, one, of, one of our producers, Nick Thomas, does a lot of film. He has a, a whole other company that he does uh, film stuff. And mm-hmm. um, Adam has done film stuff. I, I actually have not even really acted in any films. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I've never really been drawn to that. I mean this as a compliment. I'm not surprised because you talk so much about connecting to your audience. You talk so much about the visceral element of of, of being able to, to, to feel the very breath of the actors. I, I can't see you enjoying the the two dimensions that uh, that film seems to give. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's exactly that. I think I need a person in the room to, to, to feel how it's, you know, I, I need I need that interaction. Gotcha. You're absolutely right. I, I mention that because, again, like like I say, the horror movie lover, I'm thinking, okay, this would make a great movie. Hey, it did make some sort of a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But but I think we're going to get far more of a creepy feeling, far more of a of a romantic feeling, uh, just far more of a feeling from uh, from seeing Spit and Vigor. Uh, tell us how Frankenstein was started. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, yeah. Your your photos are gorgeous. It's making me can't wait to see the show. Uh, uh, thank you so much for chatting with me and putting up with, with whatever evil reception we had in terms of <laughs> getting cut off. I am going to tell our listeners exactly when the show is, how they can come and see it, and how they can support Spit and Vigor, which, which is one of the, the truly visionary companies that I've spoken to, uh, uh, recently. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be involved with you guys and, and I so look forward to your other stuff. Uh, oh, thank uh, you so much. Thanks so much for everything. Can't wait to see. Mary's Little Monster. Thank you so much, Jay. My pleasure. I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Ciao.